Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to the Uncommon Drive Podcast with Jeff Cross and Chad Ozie. Join us as we look at life, leadership, and legacy through the lens of sports officiating. Welcome back to another episode of the Uncommon Drive Podcast. My name is Chad Ozie. I am here with Jeff Cross. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's, uh, let's just say it's baseball season. There you go. I yeah, like right. it. You've I mean, still can, got some basketball left. Yeah, we do. But uh, I think for the most part, we can just say it's it's spring sports have started. Matter of fact, in Illinois, uh, yesterday was the first opportunity for spring sports to be able to start playing baseball and softball. So. That's right. Official games could start yesterday. Mm-hmm. So for those of you that are near the uh, Illinois uh, area, you'll know what uh, what time we were recording this. Uh, oh, not sure exactly when it'll go up on uh, online, but <clears throat> this is when we were recording. And today... Jeff is special for a couple different reasons. Uh, one, we're going to be uh, transitioning a little bit more into some of our, our baseball talk as we we go into things and all. But also, uh, this is the very first time that we're doing a video recording uh-huh. of the podcast as well. So for those of you that are checking in with us on YouTube, uh, we'll be uh, we'll be letting you know uh, all the updates there. Be sure that you like, subscribe. Uh, hit that notification bell so that way whenever a new uh, video comes out, you'll be able to link into that. For those of you that are listening uh, by audio, uh, we'll be putting out uh, updates as well if you ever want to check us out on video. I I will tell you, it's, it's dangerous putting the two of us on video. Yeah. <laughs> One is that... You know, we have faces made for radio, and so oh, that's, sure. you know, for it's sure. dangerous to put us on, on video. The other thing, as I was telling Jeff earlier, is that now people will be able to see just how much Diet Pepsi is consumed <laughs> during a taping of the Uncommon Drive podcast. And uh, But uh, we've had some people ask, hey, can you can you put this on video? We like watching things on YouTube, mm-hmm. whatever, and we didn't have the capability to do that well uh, as far as audio and video and everything together. We've got some things, and so hopefully this works well. And so if you like uh, watching, now you got that option. If you still enjoy listening, uh, just uh, log into your Apple Podcast, your Spotify, your Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to like, give us a rating. Uh, leave us a review, all that good stuff that helps us out so much. Finally, my request has come true. I've been asking for a video from the I beginning. know you have from the very beginning, Jeff. From the very beginning, you now have Now you asking. guys can see the looks that Chad gives me when I ask him for absurd things. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, Jeff, today is going to be a fun day because today is yeah. listener questions. And we we get more response back to these episodes than anything else that we do. Um, and we we try to do them more often, but in order to do that, uh, we have to get questions right. uh, from our listeners mm-hmm. or now viewers. And so uh, if you would like to shoot us a question for a future episode of this, uh, give it to the un- just 
uncommondrivepodcast at gmail.com. I had somebody say, hey, I sent you an email and I didn't hear it. Well, they put the Uncommon Drive Podcast mm. at gmail.com. The email address is just uncommondrivepodcast at gmail.com. So we're going to dig right into it today, Jeff. All, All right. Right? right. We're going right into it. And I love this. This first question came from a whole discussion about trying to figure out when to penalize things. You know, if if we're in basketball, we have technical fouls that we deal with. If we're mm-hmm. in baseball, we have official warnings, we have ejections, we have all those kinds of things that we deal with. And the the person that was writing the question just asked this simple question. How do I know where the line is? <laughs> when, right? they cro- when they cross it, right? <laughs> and you know, I think that's the answer that a lot of especially veteran officials have given for a long, long time. Well, you'll know it when they've crossed it. Yeah. But how many times have we seen where a veteran official is on a game with a newer official mm-hmm. and that newer official has let the person go way past the line? Mm-hmm. So that veteran official has to come across mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and adjudicate that for them because mm-hmm. they haven't figured out mm-hmm. where the line is yet. So let me just ask you, for you, where you're at in your career now, maybe not where it was 10 years ago, but for you now, how, how do you know where the line's at? Well, I have to go back to when I first started to help everyone understand where my line is now. Okay, good. Because I remember when I first started refereeing basketball and when I first started umpiring baseball, I would, you know, I'd thumb people for saying, how's it going, Jeff? Uh -uh, (laughs) That'll be enough of that. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'd give out technical fouls for like, you know, it was, who's that foul on the technical foul, you know? So I, early in my career, I made my line, uh, very shallow, I guess, if that's the right term, you know, mm-hmm. very close to me. And as I grew in my officiating career, as I grew in my rules knowledge, as I grew in my communication skills, I was able to move that line. So I guess that's my point. I think you have to establish that line early in your career. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I see so many people going the other way. I'm new. I'm going to let them get away with, you know, murder because I don't want to penalize because I don't know what it looks like. If you penalize early in your career, coaches, you understand what it feels like. You understand, I, I probably, I probably pulled the trigger too quick on there and you'll have, you'll have colleagues weigh in and go, Hey, probably could have gave them some senior officials or umpires probably could have gave them a little bit more leash there. And then you can start adjusting how that looks. Mm-hmm. And then you become real comfortable in 15, 20 years of knowing exactly where your line is. So, um, assuming we're talking about pe- technical fouls. Sure. Technical yeah, fouls, yeah, pe- ejections, right. warnings, you know, so, they all kind of fall into that mm-hmm. same group. Yeah. You know, and obviously, and we've said it before, right? Anytime we have hear someone say that you're bad opposed to that's bad. I mean, obviously we're now we're talking about it. It's, it's very personal there. So, um, but we put a little too much stock into, I don't want to penalize a technical foul, if I'm going to say in basketball realm, mm-hmm. because it's going to cost someone two points. Yeah, you know, well, the potential of two points. Well, we have the warning. Mm-hmm. If 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 you can find a way to warn, that way when you have to give out a technical foul, it's very clear. Everyone understands why that's happening. Same thing in baseball, right? We can warn someone in baseball. Absolutely. You know, what's the official... Yeah, you know, and that's one of the things that happened a few years ago when that official warning came out. Mm-hmm. Coach, if you continue to argue this, mm-hmm. I'll be forced to eject you from this contest. Right. Right? Yeah, that phrase that the NCAA wants us to use. There were a lot of people that moaned and griped about that. They're like, oh, I'm old school. I've been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. I know when, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? That little warning has made life so easy. Mm-hmm. Because now, if they continue... Mm-hmm. They've made the choice. Yep. We've clearly told them where the line is that day. Mm-hmm. And I think I've heard coaches tell me that it's helpful to them mm-hmm. because if, if you're working the plate one day and your line is super far away, you, mm-hmm. you'll give them all sorts of rope, mm-hmm. right? And I come in the next day and, you know, I had a bad day at home and I had a rough drive to the ballpark and a bad pregame with my partners. Mm-hmm. And I get out there and through no fault of that coaches, mm-hmm. my line's really short that sure. day. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? When I give him that warning, he now knows. Right. He doesn't have to wonder. Mm-hmm. You know, and if we use that, I, I think it's really helpful. I, I thought it was really interesting. I worked my last basketball game of the season on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a couple of days ago. And um, great game. 
um, came down to the end. Both teams had a chance to win it. Three-point win. The other team with a an airborne three to potentially, you know, tie it up and send it to overtime, all that good stuff. Um, just a fun game. And it, it was a meaningful game. It's a, it's a winner go home. Sure. Uh, all that kind of good stuff. And, uh, and it was a great game. And our... Uh, coordinator was at the game. This was a it was a region championship for uh, for junior college, and the coordinator was there watching the game. And the coordinator came into the locker room after the game and specifically talked about how, you know what, I really loved the way you guys as a crew communicated with those coaches. Mm-hmm. You, this was a championship game. You gave them a little extra rope mm-hmm. without allowing them to go too far. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there is that fine line. I think that's some of the nuance, you know, that, that maybe even this person is asking in this question. And, and so one of the things that I've begun to develop as a coordinator with my baseball umpires is I've said this. When what that person is doing is affecting your ability to do your job, mm-hmm. then it must be addressed. Right. It doesn't mean, in, in to go baseball terms, doesn't mean they have to be ejected. But if it's if it's interfering with your ability to do your job, then you better be given that warning. Mm-hmm. You better be doing something. And again, it it may be on you. It may be the reason that it's affecting your ability to do your job is just because you weren't in a good spot when mm-hmm. you went out. Through. But for whatever the reason is, we have to address it when it keeps us from doing our job. And I remember years ago, back when I was doing high school baseball, um, and of course, it's years ago, right? You know, so we we. We all kind of like, we're, I'm old school. I know when to eject someone. And we would kick people out. Even in high school baseball, you'd have to fill out a little report. And it was it was a done deal. But the, as I was getting out of high school baseball, towards the end of my high, high school baseball career, the, you know, the, the, I don't want to say the rules were changing, but just the, the mindset was changing. And they, and they installed a, uh, a mechanic or a rule that we could restrict the coach to the dugout. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I knew about this. and I just kind of ignored it. And I remember um, at the time, uh, Anthony Holman was the uh, at, uh, the baseball director, and he came to one of our baseball meetings, and you know we just asked him to share you know whatever his thoughts were. He said, hey, if he couldn't say anything else, he wanted to say, I want everyone to realize that restricting the coach to the dugout, we have that in place, and it works really well if you get a chance to try it, if you get a chance to use it. And I was able to use it probably within a week or two of of getting that um, th- that message, and he was right. It works. And we could think old school all we want. Th- you know, these these big bodies, right, of whether it's IHSA or NCAA or NJCA, they, they've done some research. They're not just, you know, whimsically throwing out a rule, go, hey, try this and see what happens. Yep. They've done a lot of research and a lot of um, uh, checking to see if this is going to work, whether it be at higher levels and they're trying to uh, trickle it down or vice versa. So when when we hear those new things, the best thing we can do is be open-minded to it and take a chance, use it. They've given you the tool, use it, you know, and when you warn a coach, you're like, hey, that worked out pretty well, mm-hmm. you know? I remember having a game, you know, this this year where I said, listen, you, you I didn't have to warn them, but I said, you are on the line. Yeah. You are on the line, so... Any more antics like this, I'm going to have to warn you. And that's all it took. Nothing more from the coach the rest of the night. So sometimes we're so hesitant to use it. And I'll use a, a phrase that Bill Spriggs said to me years ago, and it was just about calling fouls. He said so many people are um, uh, so worried about holding their whistle, they forget to actually blow their whistle. And it becomes the same thing with giving out technical fouls or warnings or mm-hmm. or whatever that is, bench, you know, restrict them to their dugout. They're so so worried about holding it, they don't use it, and then it could have been to their advantage. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next question. Chad and Jeff, I understand what you've talked about in controlling what you can control and not worrying about what you can't control. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who listened to us for the first time, see in earlier episodes where we talked about how there's there's only so many things we can control. We, mm-hmm. we can't control what games we get or don't get or what conferences we work in or don't or what levels we work and don't and all that kind of thing. So as Bruce said, you know, they, they understand that. But what happens when opportunities never seem to come your way that you really want? Well, I would argue 
I would argue that, first of all, you know, you always spring these questions on me, and I just, like, my brain goes 100 miles an hour. I so know. That's the whole point. I would argue that you're you're too busy looking at the pot of gold. Ah. There's so many steps to the pot of gold, you know, and oh, I, I want to be, I, I want the, you know, NCAA Division Two tournament, or I want a Division One assignment. Well, you have to look at the, all the steps that you have to that you have achieved through that year, or even through the couple of years, and it you know you're continuing to take small little steps to that pot of gold. But we do that. We do, we're like I want the Final Four. That's what I want, and I never seem to get it. And we get it set in our head that because um, I've seen this before in high school sports. And some of them may hold true, but I don't believe that it necessarily does. And we say, okay, well, I did uh, the the quarterfinals and the semifinals in the in the regionals. I've done that four years now, so regional final is next for me. I should get that next year. Unfortunately, you're the only one saying that. Mm. No one else is saying that to you. You may hear people going, yeah, I agree, you should get it. But you're putting that into their head. It just because you say it doesn't mean the person at the IHSA is thinking it. Yeah. Doesn't mean the coaches think it. Doesn't mean the athletic directors think it. All those things. That's just you thinking that. And that's where we get disappointed because we think that it's our time to get that assignment in the sectional final or the NCAA tournament. It's not it's not our decision to make. And we do that with games. We get it set in our head. We had 20 games last year, so I, I should probably get 25 or 30 next year. That's you saying it. Mm-hmm. And we just don't we don't realize that. So for me, I would say quit looking at the pot of gold. Look at the small baby steps. I mean, like sometimes, you know, we, we think of how we walk up steps. We go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. But when we're really struggling to get up the stairs, we're holding onto the rail. We're taking one step. We're putting the other foot on the step. Taking a deep breath, we're you know grabbing the other rail. You know, we're, somebody's got to push me from behind. That's going up the flight of stairs. It's not just walking right up. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree, Jeff. And and the other thing that I would say is, <clears throat> we have to begin to look at: Are we only doing it for the pot of gold? Mm-hmm. You know, are there yeah. mm-hmm. are there smaller bags of money to use your pot of gold sure. <laughs> idea? You know, are are there smaller things? on the way Mm -hmm. that we can count up, you know, okay, I didn't, okay, I I didn't get division one this year, or I didn't get the big 10, or I didn't get, you know, whatever, but man, I I feel really good about my body of work this year. Mm -hmm. You know, when I walked into locker rooms, crews were excited to see me, you know, when, when coaches saw me on a game, I immediately felt a comfort level. Mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I built up a reputation with them. Whatever those things might be, I think, you know, looking for those small victories. Um, I was listening to a, another podcast the other day about a guy who's, like, uber famous now. Mm-hmm. Like, uber famous, right? And everybody thinks he's been famous forever. Mm-hmm. He didn't even really get into the public eye until he was in his 40s. Mm-hmm. Like this guy had been like slaving away for next to nothing, Mm -hmm. you know, doing the thing that he loved, not making much money at it, Um, you know, bouncing from job, job to job, because for him to be able to go on auditions and do other things meant that, you know, sometimes he had to say, well, I can't come in and work this shift. And the boss says, well, if you don't come work this shift, you're fired. He's like, well, okay, because I got to go do this audition, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And I think sometimes those of us in the officiating world feel similar to that, you know, with different things. And and all of a sudden, this guy was an overnight success when he'd been slaving away at it for 20-some-odd years. Yeah, what's the phrase? It takes you know 10 years to be an overnight success. Exactly. You know? and, and it doesn't mean that because you slave away for 10 years, you're going to become that success. Mm-hmm, I agree. But I do think if you invest and you look at those small things along the way, at the end of that 10 years, even if you don't get that pot of gold you were thinking of, mm-hmm. you're going to appreciate those smaller goals and those things so much. And I would I would also probably like to add that we tend to compare ourselves to others. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not Brian Enterline. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah. You know. I, I, you know. Whatever. D. Cantner, Michael McConnell. I'm not those people. And some people would even look at you know Mike and go, man, he just became an overnight success. I mean, you're not seeing everything that happened. Yeah. You know, just to 
just because I, I know this because sometimes, um, you know, our phones help us create memories and yeah. you know, a memory that came up. It was just, like, I forget when it was. I think it was eight years ago, just eight years ago for me. Mm-hmm. I was working Division Two NCAA tournament. Yeah, that's not that long. Yep. Like, there's people that would could not get the retirement because I've only worked there for eight years. Mm-hmm. If you were with a regular company, yeah, it was just eight years ago where I was still working a majority of my schedule in Division Two. Mm-hmm. So it took forever. Yeah, I didn't just wake up and say, "Yeah, I got seventy games." Yeah. Didn't wake up and I'm at Penn State. That didn't happen. I had to go through lots and lots of little bitty things and in four hours for 140 bucks to yeah. Danville or whatever that is, right? Mm-hmm. So we're all doing it. Even this this person who who writes in, we're we're too busy on that pot of gold instead of going. Man, it's just it's just a process that's going to take way longer than I think. I remember somebody asked me, so "How long do you think?" Or I think the question was. How much work does it take to, it was back when I was at the AD, how much work does it take to to be a successful AD? And I said, well, imagine on your worst day and your worst week, how many hours you think it would take. Just imagine it. Just the worst ever. And, you know, they came out with some number, yeah. 60 hours. I said, now double it. And that's what it amounts to. Yeah. So that's just whatever you think it's going to take, double it, and maybe you might beat it. Yeah. And uh, we're going to come back to this in a minute because of one of the other questions that we got that I think we're probably going to save till last because uh, it's specifically directed at you, and it kind of follows that line a lot. But there's another question that I think kind of maybe is in a similar vein here. Um, and I think it was asked potentially from a, a negative standpoint, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I'm – I'm anxious to hear us talk about this one, okay? (laughs) Okay. This is the question that was asked. When I started officiating, I was so passionate about it, Mm -hmm. right? We see that very often. Somebody comes in, they get bitten by the bug, Mm -hmm. you know, so passionate about it. Now, several years later, it kind of feels like a job. Mm -hmm. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. That's the question. Is it okay for it to feel like a job? Yes. Because we are doing a job. Yeah. You know, we are. That's right. <laughs> you know, and although it may be part-time for some, but there's many people that have part-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Many people. Um, it, it Over the years, I would even agree with this, this listener that it does tend to be very job-like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's grown to be job-like. And, you know, we're all, we've all been bitten by that bug early in our career and we think it's just going to be all, you know, lollipops and candy canes for the rest of our officiating career. And it doesn't necessarily turn out that way. Um, even if you're the best of the best, it's just they have a real grind that they have to go through. And um, so I think it's okay for it to feel like a job. Um, but I also believe that there's many people that have jobs that they enjoy and love going to, to do every day. So, yeah, sometimes you have good days, sometimes you have bad days. But either way, we show up every day. Mm-hmm. Whether we're feeling good or we're feeling bad, we show up every day and we, we, we do it. So if it feels like a job, that's okay because it is. And I think that tends to wear off also because you're going to find – because it may feel like a job from, we'll just say, from January to February. Mm-hmm. And then postseason comes out and you get whatever. Even if it's one game or two games, all of a sudden don't feel like a job anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. So, and when you, when you, the season's over and then you get your assignments, don't feel like a job. Mm-hmm. It only feels like a job when it gets really, really hard, at least for me anyway. Yeah. Well, you? and I, I relate it, you know, with my day job, um, a lot of times I'll get people that are, that are in my line of work and they'll call me and, and, and what I do with that, it's, it's very demanding of you emotionally it's very demanding of your time mm-hmm. it's very you know interpersonal relationships all that kind of stuff is, is is that way and you know they'll they'll get five ten years into it and they're like oh my gosh like this is so much harder than i thought it was going to be right mm-hmm. and the the idea that i always use is getting a new puppy <laughs> yeah you mm-hmm. know what i mean like you get a new puppy and oh my gosh 
everybody loves the puppy and everybody's spending time with the puppy when it's time to take the puppy out so they can go to the bathroom everybody's lining up to go do that you mm-hmm. know and let's walk around with let's buy the new little collar and leash mm-hmm. and everything is so great about the little puppy and it's so fun and then the puppy starts chewing up stuff and mm-hmm. it's not as fun anymore and then the puppy has some accidents inside mm-hmm. and it's not as fun anymore and when that puppy is three and four and five and six and even when they've settled down you've gotten into a routine nobody wants to get up at 5 30 in the morning when the dog wants mm. to go out yeah you know and nobody wants to go out and pick up the yard mm-hmm. with all the junk that's left mm-hmm. behind after they've done their business and all that kind of stuff because because it is it's work mm-hmm. having that puppy is work you know but you find anybody who comes to the end of that relationship with that dog you know when that when that dog finally comes to the end of its life um what you remember is not all the work. Yeah. You know? You're right. You remember the relationship. You remember the connection. You remember all the fun things you mm-hmm. did. You remember just laying around on the couch and watching the movie together with the dog trying to steal your popcorn or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. I mean, those are the things that you remember. And I think, I think in our jobs, you know, we have the ability to see that, you know? And I think in officiating, we, we see that, yes, there are days it's absolute work. Mm-hmm. You're getting up early, you're making long drives, you're in nasty elements, whether it's driving through the elements in basketball season or actually working out in the elements during baseball season, <laughs> yeah, right, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we see that happen all the time, but nothing is ever going to be the same as when it's sparkly new. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't... Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success mean that it's bad it doesn't mean that we're we can't still be really really good at it because we want to be good at our job Mm -hmm. that's a really good analogy you know because that's i've never thought of it that way and um i think you could even you could put you know name the if you're not a puppy person Mm -hmm. you know we're we're in the process of getting a new house with the christian tree farm oh yeah well everyone's excited oh sure no one's going to be excited when it comes time to put a new roof on yep <clears throat> no one's going to be excited when the the storm door breaks. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, you remember? You know, you get a new car, mm-hmm. right? Or you, like even smell. a new new to mm-hmm. you, right? Mm-hmm. You're yeah. like, oh man, I'm going to mm-hmm. keep this car so much nicer than I kept my last. I'm not going to throw the oh, yeah. the fast mm-hmm. food bags yep. in the passenger floorboard. Or yeah. I'm not. Gonna, this is going to be kept so nice. Well, what is it? Four months later down the road, all the Taco Bell bags yeah, are over there. <laughs> right. No feet on the seat. That's what we used to tell the kids when we got a new car. No yeah. feet on the seat. And now we're like the dog's running around, you know, he's chewing rib bones back there. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. And maybe that's uh, – hopefully that helps that listener understand that, yeah, it, it's going to feel like work. But um, rest assured, you're going to miss it when it's gone. Yeah. All right. So this next question, uh, it was specifically uh, towards you. Yeah. Uh, we have one more. that will be our last question that's specifically towards you. Um, but I like the fact that it was a two-part question. Great. Okay. So the, the first part of the question 
will seem like, okay, well, maybe this will be a fun story or whatever. But the second part is where I think it's really helpful to us. The, they asked, Jeff, what is the biggest mistake you've made in your officiating career? Okay, so that's the first part of the question. Yeah. Second part of the question is, how did you grow and learn from it? Mm. Which I like. I, I do like that. Um, you know, we talk about our mistake recovery strategies <laughs> on this podcast all the time. And yeah. sometimes that's in-game, but sometimes mm. it's, it's broader than that. Sure. So however you interpret that question, what's the biggest mistake you've made? And then how'd you grow from that? So uh, I'm going to give you the joking answer first. Okay. The biggest mistake I've ever made in officiating is starting. <laughs> because once I started, I knew I couldn't stop. Yeah, yeah. I just knew I couldn't stop. And and um, the days when I feel like I want to stop, you know, something good happens. My wife will encourage me a little bit. You know, she tends to tell me things that I don't know if it's necessarily what I want to hear, but she she speaks real truth when it comes to that. And mm-hmm. um, she, you know, says things like, you know, I think this is something you were, you know, born to do or you know it's just something just comes very natural natural to you so um, I hate to see you just quit because you've had a tough week or a tough couple days so or retire so that's the joking answer the real answer is um and I, I'm pretty sure I've said this story I, I matter of fact I know that I have but the the biggest mistake I've ever made in officiating is uh, it was an in-game like mistake where I counted a basket that didn't go mm. and I didn't know it that didn't the, go. I mean, it's just before we had videos, just, you know, I just didn't know until the next day mm-hmm. that it didn't go. And it, uh, it had multiple days of calls with partners and, and conference coordinators, mm-hmm. multiple problems there. Um, and you know, tried to get in, trying to understand why, how we made the mistake and why we didn't do this and why we didn't do that. And you just, you know, all in, all in all, it was a, it was a tough three days. The thing, the biggest thing I learned from it though, the biggest thing was, you know, and I, I hear, what is it? Tom Hanks says it on some podcast, this too will pass. Mm -hmm. It does. And it did. And I just had to keep on going. Um, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I remember telling the coordinator, like, what, because she, she asked, what did you learn from this situation? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I think for me, um, if I'm going to track the ball, I need to really track the ball. Don't track the ball out of my peripheral vision. Because I think that's what I was doing. Okay. Still trying to stay on, on players, trying to, you know, yep. just make sure nothing's happening. And then watching, the, as I say, the game out of the tops and the bottoms of our eyes, right? Yeah. And I was watching that ball out of the top of my, top of my eyes. And meanwhile, my eyes placed tricked on me, and I thought they would, thought the ball went in when really just rolled off. So um, that was ultimately. So now when I have a shot that goes up, you know, that that I'm off ball on, mm-hmm. you can guarantee I'm watching that ball. Sure. I mean, I may not stare at it, but I'm going to see if it goes through the net. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. And I don't need to do it for two or three seconds. I need to do it for an instant to see it clear the net, and then I, then I could stay off of it. So. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I, I am not a big fan of saying that will never happen to me again, because it could, it very well could. You would like to do your best for it not to happen again, but save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection, ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. But um, through that mistake, it has helped me to avoid the mistake in the future. And, and I would say that's a mistake that gets made every single season, multiple times. Sure. At multiple levels. Mm-hmm. I have been to high school games watching mm-hmm. as an observer mm-hmm. when either they've counted a basket that wasn't made mm-hmm. or didn't count a basket that was. Mm-hmm. Seen seen both of it. Mm-hmm. So it's something that can happen to all of us. And whatever that thing is that, you know, our, our listeners may have experienced, you know, whether it was, you know, you found out afterwards you ejected the wrong number, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've seen stuff like that happen over and over. I think what your statement is so good. You know, guess what? There's going to be another day. Mm-hmm. You know, 
we've we've seen some big stuff in the news recently of you know officials making some pretty egregious mistakes, mm-hmm. some intentionally, some unintentionally. Well, my guess is there's going to be another day for for both those officials. Yep. You know, for the one that made it intentionally, that new day isn't going to be at the same level. They're they're going to have to work their way back, mm-hmm. and they're going to have to figure that out. Mm-hmm. You know, but for the ones that what guess what there, there's going to be another day, and mm-hmm. it may be at a different site. And it, you know, but but there's gonna be another day. And we, as important as sports are mm-hmm. in the world that we live in, mm-hmm. it's still not the end of the world. Yeah, it's just not. Can we talk about that? Yeah, go right ahead. Because I am not. Mm, how do I want to say this? I should be able to make it clear what we're talking about. Yeah, the strike. Two and then a strike three. Yep. In some college baseball game, right? Yeah. New know. Orleans baseball game. Yep. So I don't know if it was, I don't even know what division it was. I have no idea. Yeah. But I saw the clip, right? One, I do find it very, very interesting that we are just, a, was there any statement by this umpire that said he did it on purpose? No. So we're making assumptions. That's all we're doing. We're making assumptions that this umpire did it on purpose because of what happened on pitch two, strike two. Yeah. And we all have that right to do that. Sure. But I don't know about you. I've missed two pitches in a row before. Mm-hmm. I've done it. Sure. And when I miss pitch two and it's on strike three, that's exactly what I do with that umpire. Mm-hmm. As I walk right off because I know I missed it. Sure. I'm done. I've made a big mistake here. I know that. So I'm not saying whether this guy did it on purpose or not. Mm-hmm. But I do really struggle. And you know, we see it more and more throughout our communities that everyone is guilty until proven innocent. Mm-hmm. And everyone has done that. Even I would say, I don't know what due diligence the, the, the conference office did. But it was a mistake, and you know they're making some assumptions there, and they may be correcting those assumptions. Um, but it's it's, and I hate to put it in the same realm. But if I pull the trigger once, and I and I and I pull it again, are you assuming that I pulled it again on purpose, or maybe I just did it out of instinct because I didn't know where I was at? Mm-hmm. So. I've made the mistake by pulling it trigger once, and I made a mistake by pulling it twice, and then finally I stopped. So I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not trying to pick sides here, but I just wish we we could get to some sort of um, common ground on not everyone is doing what you guys or everyone thinks they're doing. Because you know how many times I've called on offensive foul, and the players think I did it on purpose because someone said to me. You don't you don't know the rule. Yeah. And they think that I did it on purpose. Yeah. No, I just you know, I just made a mistake. Sure. So I'm not saying he did or I'm not saying he didn't, but I, we're forced with a very difficult task. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very, very unfortunate that um a guy like this who was is forced with a very difficult task and and now is is faced with the repercussion of making a mistake or two mistakes, if that's what we want to call it, and now is going to have to fight their way back into where they've earned already. So, well, and my let's, soapbox. There. Let's also be honest, though, that you know we live in a day and age where everything is viewed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've got a game next Tuesday, and I got my my stuff from game management today. It was emailed to me today, one week ahead of when my game is, mm-hmm. telling me which network my game would be broadcast on. Mm-hmm. You know, like everybody knows mm-hmm. where this stuff's going, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't care if you are working at, um, you know, University of Alabama, mm-hmm. or if you are working at high school in I know Alabama, mm-hmm. you know, somebody is streaming that game. Mm-hmm. Somebody is shooting video clips. Mm-hmm. I had a situation happen with one of the teams that I coordinate for the other day. And I said, hey, do you have video of that? He's like, no, I don't think we do. I said, would you just check? I said, I bet there's a parent. There's a somebody 
because it was after a home run. Hmm. I said, I bet somebody was shooting video of that celebration. It was something that had to do with the, the celebration and the new rules surrounding that and all. And lo and behold, about 10 minutes later, I get a video clip mm -hmm. because somebody was videoing. Mm -hmm. And le let's give this umpire the benefit of the doubt and say that it was just an unintentional mistake. Mm -hmm. Okay. If so, it was an unintentional mistake in a very unfortunate position. So 99.9% .9 of the world is going to naturally assume that was an intentional mistake mm -hmm. because of the optics of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I am the last person in the world to try to pile on an official that's made a mistake. Mm -hmm. I'm typically the one that's defending them, you know, even on social media where it doesn't do me any good to do that, you know, <laughs> right, that kind right. of thing. Yeah. Uh, but I think we have to be aware of, of the optics when these things happen, mm -hmm. you know, and understand what that means. And, you know, we've said, you know, we, we talk about dealing with mistake recovery strategies. We've talked about all those kinds of things. And yes, can this stuff happen? Absolutely it can. Um, we have to be ready as officials. If we say, I would never do that, that's where we have to be careful. Yeah. Because, and again, let's, let's just operate under the assumption that that person did it on purpose. Okay. Just, just for the sake of argument. Okay. They did it on purpose. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Every strike three that gets called for the next three weeks after a missed strike two, we are all going to be under the microscope. Yeah. Every one of us. Every time a strike is called after a player demonstrably mm -hmm. is unhappy with the previous call, mm -hmm. they're all going to be under the microscope. Mm -hmm. So we better get ready for it. Mm -hmm. And it may die down after a few weeks, mm -hmm. but right now, Everybody's watching. Mm -hmm. So as sports officials, let's be ready. Let's go out. And if we make the mistake on strike two, let's own it, mm -hmm. you know, and let's move on and let's bust our tail to make sure we don't make it on the next one. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think that's a good, a good learning opportunity for us all the way around. Yeah. Cause like I said, I don't know what the dude's name is, but maybe the dude was having a tough plate job already. Sure. Maybe that is one of many that he had missed, you know, and this is the one they want to call out because they think that, you know, he did it on purpose. Maybe, maybe he's just not trained well enough. Maybe, maybe, you know, the, the, whatever, we don't know what, you don't know what's happening, but it is unfortunate that we, we, uh, we do a job that is, is, um, very difficult to do at an excellent level, let alone perfect. Yeah. And when we mess it up, that's it. You're fired. Yeah. You know. Well, and so that brings me to, we, we have two more questions left, but we're going to save one of the questions. Okay. okay? So we're going to save. So for those of you who are listening, this will be a tease for <laughs> one of our next steps. I'm not sure if we'll try to pull this off at a 10 good minutes, or maybe we'd have to bump it up to 20 good minutes. Uh, or maybe we'll just make a whole episode out of this next question. But I love the question. So I'm going to tease it out there so people know it's coming soon. The question was, what separates good from great? And great from genius. So that means they've been listening to Jeff yes, on this it podcast. Is, yes, it is. Yeah, right. You know, we talked about good communication, mm -hmm. great communication, genius communication, mm -hmm. good mechanics, great mechanics, genius mechanics, you mm -hmm. know, all those kinds of things. So uh, that's one you can be thinking about for the future here, Jeff. What? I get to think As about get, a question? Right, you get oh, to think okay. about a question right. and all that kind of deal. Uh, but we'll be hitting that very, question. very soon. Great good, question. great genius. Yeah. I like it. Our last question of the day. Yeah. Jeff, specifically directed to you, Jeff, you have accomplished amazing things in your career. That's I think you, you just said eight years ago, you were working D2 postseason. That's mm -hmm. something people would give anything to get to do. And yeah. now on top of that, now you're working a full division one schedule, division one um, conference tournaments, division one postseason mm -hmm. coming up, all that kind of stuff. Right. Okay. What keeps you motivated to continue developing and improving. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> you, know, you, you you brought it up earlier. Everybody thinks of the pot of gold. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so what is the pot of gold? Is the mm -hmm. pot of gold working the D2 postseason? Is the pot of gold being a Division One official? Is the pot of gold on the baseball side getting 13 Division One weekends? Mm -hmm. Is the pot of gold a conference tournament? Is the pot of gold mm -hmm. the NCAA tournament? You know, whatever it might be. 
What is it that keeps you motivated to continue developing and improving? The biggest thing that keeps me motivated is, and I've said this before, I believe, but if it wasn't for officiating, whether it be baseball, basketball, or football, if it wasn't, if I wouldn't have picked this, this hobby up, we'll call it. Well, for you now, it's it's a vocation. Oh, for sure, yeah. right? But it started off as kind of like this thing, yeah. right? If if I wouldn't have picked this up and realized that how I want to really force myself to be, you know, to the to the genius level, as we call, it, which I would say I'm probably not at um, in officiating. That's how much I regard the genius state, uh, statement. I would never, I don't want to say never, it would be very difficult to be the man that I am now mm. if I wasn't leaning towards being better all the time. So when, I'm, when I say I'm working on self-improvement at 5.30 in the morning and listening to a book or watching a, a, a YouTube video or a podcast or whatever that is, I'm doing that to make myself a better official, which in turn makes me a better husband, which in turn makes me a better dad. And those things are so important to me where they weren't, you know, not that they weren't important, but, you know, if you would have asked me when I got married, you know, back in 92, 93, I'm like, yeah, it's great. You're a new puppy, right? You know, mm -hmm. didn't realize how much work, you know, was going to be entailed. But now I'm like so invested into it that I want to become a better referee. I want to be a better communicator and a better um, strive to be better at all those things because I know it's going to leak right over into, into my relationship with my wife. I know it's going to leak over into into the relationship with my kids and my mom and my my mother in law, my stepdad, all those things, my mm -hmm. friends. That's what I want because I talk about it all the time. You know, I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a legacy. You know that people are they're going to they're going to be at my funeral and probably not. Talk, I'm hoping that they don't talk about a referee that much. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about it, how, how what the kind of official I was. I want them to talk about what kind of person I am and what kind of person I was. So that's why that's what keeps me motivated. Because if I continue to grow as an official every year in some small way, that means I know that I'm going to be growing as a as a as a husband and a, and a father. No, that's really good. You know, and and I think we've we've touched on this in the past. Maybe not hit it real hard, and it might be something for us to talk about in the future, but. You know, I think so many people tend to compartmentalize their life, you know, because if if for you, if officiating was just in its own little box, mm -hmm. if that's all it was, then once you'd reached a certain level, then there's there's really no desire to mm -hmm. push past that. Yeah. Um, and, and let's be honest, we all know officials like that. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got a full high school varsity schedule. And so they. They don't have to go to clinics anymore. Mm -hmm. They don't. They don't have to work to get better. You know, they're a, a big fish in a smaller pond. And some of them are phenomenal officials. I'm not knocking that at all. Mm -hmm. But, but you don't see that continued marked improvement mm -hmm. year after year because they've already kind of reached it. They've mm -hmm. already done it. Same thing we see it at the college level in, in multiple sports. But if you're somebody that says, "What I do in officiating isn't just about officiating. Mm -hmm. What I do about officiating is about my day job." Mm -hmm is about my work relationships, is about my home relationships, is about my friendships, is about my hobbies, is about my, you know, if, if it all blends over into one another, um, then every one of those aspects feed into the other, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it, it just does. And, and I think that's one of the things I, I know watching you, since the, the question was directed towards you, I know that is a huge motivator of yours. You know, you are not content. I could just end the sentence right there. <laughs> yeah, You're not true. content. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think contentment is a danger for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, well, okay, I made it far enough or I did yeah. enough mm -hmm. or whatever. But could I have done a little bit more? Could I do a little mm -hmm. bit more? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that's that's uncommon. You know, and we say that the uncommon drive is looking at life, leadership, and legacy just through the lens of sports officiating. And the reason we say that is because it's not all about officiating. Well, and think about what we what we really do. If you just look at me, at whatever, we'll just throw some round numbers out there. At fifty games, two hours apiece. So that basically means 
I'm refereeing games a hundred hours a year. That's it. Yeah. And you know, we're that's a pretty decent per hourly rate, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> may, maybe so. But that's only a hundred hours of my whole year. That's right. I have so many more hours doing other things besides refereeing. Yep. Besides being an official, so we, I think we we tend to attach our identity to refereeing. Mm. I think there's many people out there that know I referee, but I think there's a whole other group that have no idea that I do. Mm-hmm. They just don't have any idea. You know, if I was to walk into, you know, whatever a family reunion that I, let's say I went into a family reunion, like at relatives in, in Phoenix and and. Um, uh, Oregon, if we were all there, you know what they'd probably ask me? Hey, what do you do, Jeff? Yep. Mm-hmm. Or are you still coaching? Mm. They wouldn't ask me about refereeing. Yeah. They, they wouldn't even, you know, they wouldn't have any idea that I do that because that's only a hundred hours a year out of my out of my year. So I think that's we we put those two hours in as like it's you know something you know. Um, life-changing or, uh, you know, you're, you're having this great impact on because you, cause you're an NCAA referee or even if you're a full high school referee. You know, if you walk around like, oh, watch out. You know, I remember this. I remember this working. When I first started refereeing, I was working in men's league, and I was just a guy with a shirt. Yeah. That's all I was. And I was working with another guy, and I asked him, I said, so are you an IHSA official? And he said, yep. And he pointed to his patch. See right here? And there's so many people that do that. I, I got my referee bag and look out, referee coming through. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's a good way to live. I, I don't think that's the. I don't think you're going to get the joy out of officiating if you act like that every day mm-hmm. when you when you walk into the gym. When you walk into the gym, you should be happy to see people and not like, oh, excuse me, where's my locker room? I want to yeah. know where it's at. You know, say thank you. Learn people's names. Hey, Sally, thanks for bringing us to our locker room. I appreciate this water. I appreciate you. You know, when we walk out and, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have law enforcement outside of my locker room, I thank them. I learn their name. This is, you are appreciated for what you do, even though there was nothing needed for you today. But I still want to thank you, and I thank you for doing that. Thank you for standing here outside my locker room to make sure no one gets in it and make sure no one comes up to us. So that is something that we need to do instead of going, I expect it, and how come I don't have it? Mm-hmm. And then I think... You'll, you'll, when it, when it, like previous question, how does it become like work? Well, treat it like a regular day. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, when I go to the gas station, Hey, how's it going? Good to see you, Laura. You know, I heard your eight years are coming up. Good job. You know, whatever that is. And that's how you should treat other people when you have your stripes on too. Yeah. I like it a lot. Well, everybody, thanks for sending in your questions. We would love you to continue sending those in, send them to uncommon drive podcast at gmail.com. Uh, like us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, rate us, leave us a review, do all that good stuff. YouTube. It helps us out so much. We'll be going on YouTube here soon with this episode. Looking at you over there at the camera right now. <laughs> and uh, check us out over there. Share it on social media. And uh, hopefully this will be impactful uh, to a couple people this week yeah. uh, that maybe will make a difference. Great being with you all. See you all again soon. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Uncommon Drive Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating.